0: Amen. Good morning, Stonebridge. Good morning. My name, as Matt has already said, is Mason Van Beek. I lead, or co-lead, the junior high and high school ministry at Candeo Church. And so there's, there's two things you need to know about that, the fact that I am a youth pastor more so. Number one, what you need to know about that is, is I usually don't teach messages longer than 20 minutes. So if the 20-minute mark hits and my eyes just, like, gloss over and I don't know what to say after that... that's just usually how my messages go. Usually people don't focus after 20 minutes in my crowd, junior high and high school students. So if if the 20-minute mark mark hits and that happens, don't be surprised. I'm kidding. That that won't happen. But the second thing is, if there happens to be after that 20-minute mark, or I feel like I need to get the crowd laughing or engaged, um, the way in which I do that in junior high and high school ministry is make a poop joke. And so, If that happens, I apologize. I know the crowd is a little bit different here, but if that just happens and I'm trying to get the crowd engaged, I apologize. That's just how it works in junior high and high school ministry. So I've been on staff for about six months full time at Candeo now. Um, I grew up in Rock Valley, Iowa. Does anybody know where Rock Valley is? Wow, we got a couple people that know where it's at. Not many people do. And I recognized when I moved to Cedar Falls to you and I, I recognized that there actually wasn't anything important to go see in Northwest Iowa. I just was there cuz I grew up there. So, when I went to you and I, I told them that I was from Northwest Iowa, and I kind of became like somebody that lives in Illinois and they tell you like Hey, I live like three hours away from Chicago, right? Like you just try to help them understand where you're from. I just tell them, hey, I'm an hour away from Sioux City. You're going to have no idea where I'm at. So I'll just tell you I'm an hour away from Sioux City. So that's where I grew up. I went to high school there. I gave my life to Christ when I was a freshman in high school there. I was a part of the youth ministry there as a student And then I graduated from high school, went to the University of Northern Iowa, where I graduated with an elementary education degree. I was a part of the Salt Company while I was there and a couple other organizations while I was there. Through the Salt Company and my time there, I learned what it looked like to follow Jesus. I knew his grace and his mercy when I was a freshman in high school, but didn't know what it looked like for Jesus to be not only my my Savior, but also my Lord. And so when I was in college ministry, as I jumped into that, I learned what it looked like to follow Jesus, not only know him, but to follow him. That led to the opportunity then. I sat down one day with one of the head pastors and he asked if I wanted to do um, junior high and high school ministry. And I know some of you, if you sat down and had that conversation, you'd be like, I would absolutely not wanna deal with those kids at all. right?" But me being a teacher, I'm like, hey, I still get to teach and I get to teach them about the passion that I have, which is the gospel and the fact that Jesus Christ died for them and it's only by his blood they can be saved. So I was like, of course, I'm totally in for that, So that's what the University of Northern Iowa led me to. Not only my job, but it led me to my wife. And I have a picture that's going to be up on the screen behind me of my wife and I. That is my wife, Megan, that we've been married now for six months and one day. So yesterday was our six month anniversary. Yeah, right? Yeah, that's, that's pretty crazy. That's pretty crazy. She is gone to Nashville actually this morning, which would explain if I like have anything wrong with my outfit or my hair or anything, it's because my wife's not around to tell me before I walk out the door, hey, don't wear that. That looks really dumb. You know, so my wife's not here. So if that's the case, that's the reason why. So you and I led me to that, led me to the salt company, led me to know what it looks like to follow Jesus, led me to the job that I now have and the wife that I now have as well. And so we're actually a week away from getting our first house in Cedar Falls. Just a ton of things happening, right? Transitioning to job, being married for six months, transitioning to a house, right? I figured let's just do it all at one time, and then we'll jump right in and get it figured out. So the reason that I tell you those things is so that I don't just come up here and say, good morning, Stonebridge. My name is Mason Van Beek. Let's open to Romans 15. And you're like, who is this stranger that is trying to talk to me about Jesus, right? Right? Now at least you know me a little bit more. You know where I'm from. You know a little bit of my story. You know that I'm married. You know that I'm from Cedar Falls, that I went to school there. And so now, now I'm going to ask you to turn to Romans 15. Now that you feel like you know me a little bit more. So Romans 15, if you're not there yet or if you're not familiar, Stonebridge has been walking through Romans up to this point in time. And I'm going to kind of continue that as we jump into Romans 15 this morning. But as you're turning there, I want to... I want to recognize something before I jump into it. I listened to uh, Pastor Matt's message last week, and, and man, thanks for the great word last week, Matt. But I sat there at the end of it, and I, and I thought, oh gosh, how did Matt how did Matt get my notes, man? I got to change everything. He just taught everything that I was going to teach. Literally, that's what I thought at the end. I'm like, I don't know how that happened, but it seemed like it happened. But I sat there, and I thought, man, maybe I should change that. Maybe I should make it like different or more exciting. But then I sat there and I thought about it and I was like, why would I try to say something that God's word isn't saying, right? Why would I try to like liven things up, say something different when I believe that Paul is writing the same thing again to help us really understand the importance of it? Another thing that you need to recognize when something's repeated, it means that it's important, So in the junior high and high school world, what this means is, is if somebody's talking to a girl, like if a boy is talking to a girl, they're just friends. But if a boy is talking, talking to a girl, they're not just friends, they're actually talking to date, right? That's where like the the repetition comes into view, right? I've learned that. Apparently when you put talking and talking together, it means that you're talking not as friends, but you want to go on a date together. I don't know, that's just how it works. But with that being said, Repetition is important. And so I just decided instead of trying to bring something new to you guys, I'm just going to bring what it was that Paul had written in Scripture and that we just need to hear that again because it's important. And so, again, in Romans 15, I'm actually just going to read it for us this morning as we begin our time together. It says this, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but, as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Verse 8. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness, in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs, and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come, even who arises to rule the Gentiles, and him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. So where we're going to end this morning. But while you have your Bibles open, I believe the main idea for our text this morning, and not only Romans 15, but even probably Romans 14 of last week comes in verse 5. And it says this, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that word harmony, that's the word that I'm going to focus on this morning, right? Living in harmony with one another. But I want to help you understand what harmony doesn't mean. Because a lot of times when we think of harmony, it just means like, I'm just going to agree with everybody. I'm going to be okay with everything. And that's just going to be the way it is. So I can live in harmony with one another. When in reality, when we look at this text, and Matt did a great job last week of helping us understand this, Right, he talked about spine issues versus rib issues. Right, if you were to take my rib out of my body, I'm not going to totally crumble. The structure of me isn't going to crumble. But if you take the spine out of me, I'm going to totally crumble to the ground. In the same way, if we begin to compromise and if we begin to think harmony means compromising on some of the gospel truths, right? The fact that justification comes through faith alone in Christ Jesus. Salvation comes from faith alone in Christ Jesus, right? We don't compromise on those things. When I say harmony, I don't mean, hey, compromise, just agree with everybody. That's not what I'm saying. For example, one thing that I didn't share with you when I was talking about myself, I didn't share it with you because I thought you were gonna instantly stop listening to me right then and there. The reason I didn't share it with you is because the fact is this, I am an Iowa Hawkeye fan? Yeah, right, I know, I knew. But hey, stick with me, stick with me because right now where we're at, you can't stop listening to me because the fact is, the fact is, I am an Iowa Hawkeye fan, that's a rib issue. We're still, we're still. I know for some of you, you think it's not. For some of you, you think it's not. It was pretty important that my wife wasn't a Cyclone fan either, so I will say that. But the importance of it is what I'm trying to say is we as believers in Christ that have been covered by the blood of Jesus, we can still be living in harmony with one another, even though the fact is that I'm a Hawkeye fan, trust me, we can still live in harmony with one another. Sounds crazy, but it can happen. It's not a spine issue. It has nothing to do with the fact that Jesus died on the cross for us. So harmony doesn't mean compromise on everything, but it means there are issues and things that we as believers, I think, divide on that we don't need to divide on. We don't need to divide on those things. And so with that, I want to actually jump into our text and talk about practical ways that we can live in harmony with one another. Some practical ways we can live in harmony with one another. There's going to be two of them that come up on the screen. The two ways that I'm going to talk about this morning that we can live in harmony with one another is living a selfless life and having a common hope. You can leave that on the screen for a minute. Living a selfless life and having a common hope. As believers, we can live in unity and harmony with one another by living a selfless life and having a common hope. Let me show you what I mean. Go back to your Bibles here. We're going to look at verses 1 through 3. I'm going to read them again. They say this. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. So we see this passage starts out with Paul saying, we who are strong have an obligation to bear bear with the failings of the weak. Now, Paul isn't talking about physically strong here, even though when I talk about strong, some of you guys in here look down at your biceps and reminded yourself that you are strong, right? Trust me, I know. I know. You do that, right? You're sitting there. You're reminding yourself that you're strong. It's not physically strong. What Paul's talking about here is strong in the faith. And I'm not going to sit here and try to go one by one and say, you're strong, you're weak. The reality is we can sit in that. But the truth is there are going to be some that you are going to be stronger in the faith than there are going to be some that you're weaker in the faith than. I'm not going to sit here and try to try to help you understand where you're at. The reality is there are some that you are stronger in faith than some that you are weaker in faith in. But the truth still remains here within these first verses. It says, "We have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Not to please ourselves." Now listen to me here real quick. I think the number one thing that can wreck unity amongst believers, that can wreck harmony amongst believers is selfishness. I believe that. I believe selfishness is something that can just wreak havoc among believers because we are selfish in our own beings, right? In our own selves. Now let me help you understand this for a minute. There's going to be another screen, another picture that comes up on the screen. I played football in high school. I played football in high school and I'm just going to help you really quick. If you don't know what football is, I'm going to help you understand what some of this means. So I got this picture here. So the O's are the offense. The X's are the defense. I played offense in high school. So that means we're looking at the O's right here. You can see these five O's right in a line, right in a clump right there. One, two, three, four, five. There's one of them that says tackle right underneath of it. That's the position that I played in high school. Let me tell you why I'm bringing this up. Every play is drawn up so that we would score a touchdown, right? That's the point. You want to score a touchdown in football. But I can tell you there were points in times where myself as a tackle was supposed to, on that drawn up play, was supposed to block the end that was right in front of me. But on the play before that, one of the other guys on the team was either making me frustrated, making me angry, and I was like, you know what, I know who I'm supposed to block on that play, but I'm going to go hit this guy on this play, even though that's not my job. And let me tell you, there were times when I did that, and, it's, and I probably at the end felt like I pleased myself, right? I was like, that guy was really just making me angry. I just wanted to hit him on that play, but I can tell you 10 times out of 10, my quarterback or my running back was sitting in the backfield on the ground because the guy that I was supposed to block wasn't blocked on that play. And I can tell you that that didn't lead to harmony. That didn't lead to unity among my team. It led for us to break, right? The guys would come up to me and say, are you serious? That your job on that play was to block this guy, but you selfishly went and blocked somebody else because you got caught up in your own thoughts. And see, I think we would be crazy this morning to say that we don't even experience that in our churches today. I think we would be crazy to say that that we don't see harmony broken within churches among believers because of our selfishness. See, we see it in the selfish desire to gossip about somebody else because we have the information that somebody else doesn't have, so we want to seem like we have all the information, right? Right? We want that person to think, wow, how did you know that? Although it turns into gossip because you're talking about that person. We see it in the way that we can sometimes selfishly consume alcohol around those that have communicated to us that, hey, I actually don't want to be in an environment like that. I can't be in an environment like that. But we selfishly please ourselves, yet even in those environments, and do that specific thing. We see it in the selfish desire to always be right regardless of the fact that it's gonna hurt somebody else. We see it in the fact that we wanna make our names great regardless of if it means dragging somebody else's name through the mud. But recognize I'm saying we. I'm not standing up here looking down upon you and saying you guys do that. We are a selfish people. And there are points and times where we allow our selfishness to bring disunity to break harmony within the body of believers. But we are called to be a selfless people, right? Not to please ourselves. But how do we do that? How do we do that? If we're a selfish people, almost at our core, how do we live selflessly? We'll look at verse three with me. It says, for Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell On me. Let me remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel here just for a second. Jesus Christ, both fully God and fully man, came to this earth, took on flesh, lived a perfect sinless life, was accused of something he didn't do, was proclaimed of being guilty whipped, beaten, mocked, spit on, scorned, brought to the hill, brought to Golgotha and crucified on a cross with nails in his hands and nails in his feet. And he rose again three days later and then defeated sin and defeated death. I mean, like think of this, think of what it was for Jesus to come. You see, God, he didn't need us. He didn't need us as a broken people. He didn't need us for himself, He had the fullness of himself already, but yet he sent his son to die on the cross for us. That is selfless living. Look to Jesus. We are a selfish people, but look to Jesus. The only way you're going to live selflessly if you look to the one who puts that perfectly on display, and that is Jesus Christ, our Savior. So what does that look like then? Go back to verse two. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Now recognize the wording there. It says, let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. It doesn't say, let each of us please ourselves. It doesn't say, let each of us please our neighbor for our good. It says, his neighbor for his good. Now, again, the helpful thing for me is to think about what this doesn't mean. Again, this doesn't mean when you're pleasing your neighbor to allow them to live in the sin that they're living in and walking in. I'm not saying that if somebody, if your neighbor says, my good is this, and it's a sinful pursuit. I'm not saying, oh, yeah, yeah, let him please himself for that. Let him do that. That's not not what I'm saying because all of our goods, Stonebridge, all of our goods are that we would know Jesus, we would become like him, and we would make him known. Regardless, we all have the same problem and we all have the same solution. All of our goods are that we would know Jesus, we would become like him, and we would make him known. That's the reality of it. So live selflessly. Look to Christ in the way that he sacrificed his own life so that we could have life. All right, that's point number one. Point number two, again, going back to what I talked about at the beginning, point number one was live a selfless life so that we can live in harmony with one another. Number two is that we would have a common hope. It is a common hope like Josh even talked about this morning during worship. It's a common hope that brings us together in unity and in harmony. So we see the word hope in this text. We see the word hope four times. We see it first in verse four. We see it again in verse 12. And we see it twice in verse 13. Now, now, I don't want to bore you here, but, but let me help you understand like what the, what the Greek word for hope is that's being used in this text. The Greek word for hope in this text is elpizo. And when it's used in that way, it means joyful and confident expectation of eternal salvation. Joyful and confident expectation of salvation. Now here, you can stop taking notes here for a minute. Just, just keep your eyes up here. Let's take, let's take a little bit of a break. So more than likely, more than likely, some of you, again, I'm not calling anybody out, but more than likely, some of you are sitting here thinking about, man, I just really hope that we have Subway for lunch. Or man, I just really hope that we have this for lunch today. Right? Hey, I'm not calling you out. I, I have to fight against that when I'm sitting here on a Sunday morning and I'm trying to think about what I'm going to have for lunch. But again, we think about, we hope for things but that, when, that's not the same hope that we have in this text. You see, when you use that hope, when you're thinking about, man, I hope that we have Subway, or I hope that we have Casey's for lunch, you're like wanting something to happen, but you don't know if it's gonna happen. Like, gosh, I really want that, but I really don't know if that's gonna happen, right? Or you maybe sit here when football season comes around and you think, man, I hope that the Cyclones beat the Hawkeyes, which of course won't happen, right? It won't happen. And then you're going to come back to me next year and you're going to say, remember, uh, remember Mason, you, you said the Hawkeyes wouldn't, or the Cyclones wouldn't win. But we'll, we'll keep going past that. So you would think that you hope, right? You want that to happen. You don't know what's going to happen, but you want it to happen. So let's go back then to the definition of hope within this text. The definition, again, let me remind you, is this. Joyful and confident expectation of eternal salvation, That word confident, joyful and confident expectation of eternal salvation. That's a full confidence. That's a confident expectation, right? When we use want in the world, we're like, gosh, I hope that it happens. When we use hope in this context, it's like, I know that it's going to happen, and I'm expecting it to happen, and I'm joyfully waiting for it to happen, and I'm eagerly expecting that it's going to happen. I'm not wanting it to happen. And guys, the thing that we're wanting to happen as believers, the thing that we are wanting to happen, the hope that we have is that we have salvation in Christ now, but we're also hoping and expecting for the day that Christ will come and return and totally defeat sin and totally defeat death forevermore for an eternity. Can we, like, Can we agree on that? Like put everything else aside. The hope that you have if you are in Christ is the same hope as that other person that's sitting in here. Regardless of where you're at, regardless of what you believe outside of that, if you're a Hawkeye fan, a Cyclone fan, it doesn't matter, we're hoping for the same thing. That can bring unity, right? That can bring harmony. So I'm gonna get real here for a second. The reality is is that if we are in Christ, we have a common hope that's rooted in the blood, in the sacrifice, in the resurrection of Christ, right? We're on the same page with that. So what that means, then, Stonebridge. listen up. What that means is this. It doesn't matter if your skin color is white or if it's black or if it's yellow, if it's orange, if it's brown, if it's pink, if it's purple, if it's peeling off like mine is from the sun, right? It doesn't matter if your ethnicity is, is Asian, African-American, Chinese, Caucasian. It doesn't matter what your culture is. It, it just matters that if you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you have a common hope in salvation for today and for Christ to return once again, a confident expectation, That should bring harmony. Why division, right? That should bring harmony. That's a truth that can unite us as believers. We are expecting and hoping in the same thing. So Stonebridge, to help you, to help you remember where we're at right now. So I began this message by talking about harmony, right? I talked about that it's not agreeing with everybody on everything. There are rib issues that we sometimes divide over that we don't need to, but I'm not saying we should compromise on the spine issues within our church, right? The gospel truths within the church, the body of believers. And then I talked about two different ways that we can practically live in harmony with one another, right, by living a selfless life and remembering we have a common hope with the person that has put their faith and trust in Jesus but I don't think I would be doing a good job if I left you guys with that. I want to leave you with the truth and the reality because you could sit here and think, well, why should I do that? Like, why should I do that? And that's the question that I wanna answer right now. Why should I live in harmony with one another? And again, it's gonna be up on the screen. I want you to write this down if you have your notebook. Why should you live in harmony with one another? Why should you every day strive to live in harmony with other believers Even within Stonebridge and outside of Stonebridge, the reason you should do that is because it glorifies God. And that is what you were created for. You were created to glorify God. So, I'm going to go back and I'm going to reread part of our text. I'm going to read verses 5 through twelve, And I want you to listen, you can have your Bibles open, but I want you to listen for how many times it talks about the glory of God within these verses. So, again, starting with verse 5, it says this, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that... "'Together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. "'Therefore welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. "'For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness "'in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs, and "'in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy.' As it is written, therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again, it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. Verse 11, and again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come. Even he he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. Going back to verse 5, this is the most impactful thing right here. It says, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. In other versions of the Bible, at verse 6, it would say, so that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The reason we should live in harmony with one another is so that we might glorify the God who created us, who gave us salvation, with one voice. That is why we are called to live in harmony. And again, that makes us look outside of ourselves, right? It's not for selfish gain. It's for the God that deserves all glory and all praise. Let me help you understand this a little bit more in this text. So something you need to know within the reality of this text and when it's being written. Right now, Paul is writing to the Church of Rome. Matt's talked about this, and I believe others have. He's writing to the Church of Rome, writing to the Jews and the Gentiles, and one thing that's really interesting within this that I think it's helpful to know is that the Jews are quoted multiple times within the New Testament as calling the Gentiles dogs, right? The, the dirtiest, most unclean people of them all, right? The lowest of lows. The Jews are calling the Gentiles dogs. Simply that. And so it's, it's interesting that in verses 9, 10, 11, and 12, Paul is pulling from, in all of those verses, he's pulling from the Old Testament, he's pulling writings that are talking about the fact that the Gentiles were going to find their greatest hope in Jesus and that they were going to glorify his name. So the really cool thing about this text is, is that it's, it's making true what God said was going to happen in the Old Testament. It's saying, we're seeing the Gentiles right now finding their hope in Jesus. Paul is writing to them for that truth. So I mean, that, that's really cool. But see, another thing that's so cool, think about this with me really quick. Imagine yourself in this situation. Imagine yourself that you're there. You're not, you're not a Jew or you're not a Gentile, but you're just somebody that's living in that point in time. But you knew that the Jews called the Gentiles dogs. But then one day, you begin to see the Jews and the Gentiles begin to live in harmony with one another. You have to ask the question at that point in time, what is it that brings you from calling them dogs to then being living in harmony with one another? And imagine, just imagine this, imagine what they thought when they found out that it was the blood of Jesus Christ and the salvation that's only found in him that brought these people together. Not only does it glorify God, but it shows the power of his grace these people were calling other people dogs and then all of a sudden Paul is saying you can live in unity and harmony with one another. Stop. And I want us to think about the same thing in our world today, Stone Bridge. In a world that is so polarized and divided and broken about anything and everything, listen to this. I got a couple what if statements here. What if, what if we began to live Like this. What if the world began to see believers living in harmony with one another despite having some different political beliefs? What if the world began to see believers living in harmony together despite the fact that they come from different cultures? What if the world began to see believers living in harmony despite the difference in color of skin? What if the world began to see believers living in harmony with one another despite their different ethnicity? What if the world began to see believers living in harmony with one another despite how they feel about masks? I mean, the list can go on and on, brothers and sisters. But think about the the people that right now are living in our world. What if they began to see people with differing beliefs living in harmony with one another? Imagine the fact that God's name would be glorified, but that they would see the grace and the power of the gospel. Are you, you're telling me that, that, that they can, like, be in harmony with one another? Like, how does that happen? It's the, it's the gospel. It's, it's the grace that God has extended to us. Think about how people will begin to see that and recognize that. What, what a powerful thing that would be. And you know what? They would also see a picture of heaven on earth. Let me, let me help you understand this. Revelation 7, 9 and 10 says this. This is beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Revelation 7, verses 9 and 10 says this. After this, I, John is writing this, looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number, listen, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. John is saying that about heaven. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every language standing before the throne of God And saying, to this God, we praise you because you are the God of salvation. And to the lamb who was slaughtered for us, who is Jesus, they're standing before the throne and proclaiming that from every tribe and tongue, nation. People would begin to see heaven on earth as we begin to live in that way as believers. People from every tribe, tongue, and nation with a common hope living in harmony and unity with one another. What a challenge that is for me. And what a challenge that is for you as believers in Christ. So, there's one verse that I haven't talked about yet, and I wanted to close with this one because this is like, this is my prayer to you guys. That's Stonebridge. It's verse 13. It says this. May the God of hope, again, remember what hope is. It's an eager expectation of what's to come. God himself is a God of hope, right? Because everything he said is true. Everything he said is going to happen. He's the God of hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. So that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Stonebridge, that, that is my desire for you. May the God of hope fill you with joy and peace, a common joy and a common peace that we all can have as believers that will bring us to live in unity, in harmony with one another. Again, we have a so that in verse 13. So that by the power of the Holy Spirit, again, for those of us that are in Christ, the same Holy Spirit lives in you that does Anybody else that has put their faith and trust in Jesus so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, here we go again, you may abound in hope. Abound, overflow with hope. Imagine if we left this place overflowing with a common hope, overflowing with the hope that the Spirit gives that one day Jesus Christ is going to return. He's going to defeat sin. He's going to defeat death and bring us home to be with him in our eternal home. Imagine that. That is my encouragement to you. Don't leave here feeling discouraged. Leave here feeling encouraged. Encouraged in the fact that we can live selflessly because Christ lives selflessly. We can live with a common hope because Christ is that common hope and know that we're walking alongside of each other in this. We are brothers and we are sisters and we are called to live in harmony with one another so that God's name would be glorified. Would you pray with me? Heavenly father, I am so grateful for these people. I'm so thankful for the opportunity to teach from your word. And I just pray, God, you, the God of hope, would you fill these people, these believers, with all joy and peace, a common joy and a common peace that is found in Christ. And would you, Holy Spirit, fill us with an overflowing, everlasting, expecting hope for the day of Christ so that we can glorify your name, so that we can live in harmony with one another. You created us to glorify your name. Would it be that we live in a way that does just that? Father, we love you and we thank you and we are grateful for you. And we ask all of these things in your holy and your precious name, amen.